Okay, everybody, welcome to the podcast. So let's uh, talk about the Gospel of John today. Dan, Gospel of John. So last episode, we um, we mentioned that we were going to stand in the tradition on this one with the authorship uh, mm-hmm. piece, because there, there are a lot of scholars that, that doubt the... Um, the genuine authorship of the Gospel of John, not only Gospel of John, but the letters, and then even the Revelation. So. Yeah, they, a lot of the a lot of the terminology and concepts that they uh, that are there in the Gospel of John, they just felt came from later tradition. You have scholars who would even say that the Gospel of John was probably written and compiled in the second century, even mm-hmm. mid second century, something like that. Um, and so we can kind of dive into why we think the tradition is absolutely correct. Yeah, well, I think at at first you have a problem where this was the authorship was never doubted in the in the history of the church. Which, if you read the early fathers, especially Eusebius, they have no problem identifying something that was not written by someone. You know, for a long time, people were like, "Oh, you know, Paul wrote Hebrews. Paul wrote Hebrews," but you know, <laughs> then it, they doubt whether or not he wrote it, and it didn't matter. So it's the same thing here. But but the the interesting thing is that no one ever ever doubted the the authorship until the 18th century. I mean, there's only one um, father, Epiphanius, who who cast doubt on John's authorship. But other than that, it's the the tradition's pretty unanimous, right? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, especially in the earliest days, you have somebody like Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, who's mm-hmm. writing in the late second century, who says that the four gospels are like the four points of the compass. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, north, east, south, and west. Mm-hmm. Um, you have somebody like Saint Justin Martyr, who's already quoting from the Gospel of John, yeah. using the words of uh, flesh and light and darkness, and, and certainly the word logos in his logos theology. Mm-hmm. Um, no, same right. with Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch. Yeah, I was going to say. Early, you know. Yeah, that's the linchpin there. I think Ignatius of Antioch. Where, you know, he died in 107, mm-hmm. and already in his letters, especially the letters to the Magnesians. Um, he is alluding to a lot of Johannine content. ideas yeah. Yeah, and content. Yeah, and I think for me, the most convincing thing is the Irenaeus piece, because he also quotes directly the Gospel of John over a hundred times mm-hmm. in his writings. And of course, he, we mentioned before, is a direct connection to Polycarp of Smyrna, who's a direct connection to John. Mm-hmm. So it's it would be bizarre if Irenaeus wouldn't have known that this was not written by John, you know, it makes sense. Uh, in other words, there, there is a connection there. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I, I think what, what scholars are really hanging their hat on is the content. There, there's something about the content that up to this point has seemed late. Yeah, so so the language is different. The ideas are kind of different. It jo- gospel. John seems different from the synoptic gospels. Mm-hmm. So, this must be much later mm-hmm. than it really is. Yeah. Yeah. But what we would say and what we would contend is that actually that scholars have thought that might be more of a reflection on our limited knowledge of Palestinian thought in yeah. the first century mm-hmm. um, rather than on the, the, the ideas themselves. Because, the, for instance, the discovery of the Qumran scrolls, it's just blown open, wide open. Um, yeah, New, Test- New Testament studies will never be the same. Yeah, uh, since the Dead Sea Scrolls or Old Testament, were, <laughs> especially Old Testament. Yeah, studies. <laughs> we're, we're discovered in the in the late 1940s, and then since then, scholarship has completely changed on how we view the New Testament. Yeah, and and, and so the, all we what we see there is that all these concepts of light, dark, mm-hmm. um, you know, the dualism that we see in John, spirit, flesh, th- these yeah. things are are in the scrolls. Yeah, St. John's Gospel and a lot of the, all the Johannine uh, literature share the terminology of Qumran and the ideology of Qumran. So you mentioned dualism. What is dualism, right? It's that it's that idea of two opposing principles, mm-hmm. right? Evil 
goodness, yeah. light, darkness, truth, perversity, um, and in, in, in strict dualism, those principles are equal, and they're duking it out through the ages, right? You're not sure who's going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a more modified dualism, somebody's going to win, yeah. right? And that would be both Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and John. Somebody's going to win, right? At the end of, of things, light's going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, modified dualism in, in John and Qumran are also similar because they're ethical. Yeah. They speak to the works being light or dark works, mm-hmm. okay? The difference between Qumran and John is that light in a general sense will win so in qumran it's it's about the eschaton that mm-hmm. light will will overcome darkness for john the light of the world of course is christ himself jesus and and john portrays the victory as already beginning to occur yeah in jesus himself mm-hmm. but again that that language is right there right yeah. and and what that shows is that no John isn't speaking the language of second century Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. John's not speaking the, sen- uh, the language of the Greeks. Right. Okay. He's speaking the language of Palestinian... The thought language. The thought language yeah. of Palestinian Judaism. And so now scholars look at it and say, oh, there were Jews of the first century who thought and spoke the way John was speaking. Yeah, in and these so, dualistic and it, ways. And, 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 it, and it took the Gospel of John and replaced it into a Palestinian context. Which is... Which is just a gift from the light, because, <laughs> from, yeah. it, from above, because for for our purposes, you know, one of our central theses about John himself is that he he received a seen theology mm-hmm. through his connection with John the Baptist. Um, it, it's very clear in the outset of his gospel, the first thing that all the gospels talk about, but what he talks about is his experience with John, mm-hmm. you know, and intimate experience with John. So, uh, but just to give an example, like, I think it'd be helpful if we read a little bit, like, side yeah, by side, a little bit fun. from Qumran, so, and then John's gospel to show this light and dark thing. Yeah, so, so. so Steve, you're going to read from Qumran, the community rule mm-hmm. of Qumran. Yeah. Uh, this is, Qumran, are, th- when we say Qumran, we're referring to the Essenes, but mm-hmm. Qumran specifically, this was almost like, Catholics can think of it as almost like a monastic order. Mm-hmm. This was, these were the celibate Qumranites right. who were gathered together in, in uh, near the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. So you could be so, in a scene in the city right. or in a scene There's, in the community, but, yep. you know... You could be a married a scene in the cities or you can be a, a right. kind of a monastic a scene yeah. in, in Qumran. So, Steve, you'll read from Qumran and then I'll read um, from John's prologue and then a little bit uh, after the prologue. Okay, so from the God of knowledge comes all that is and shall be. Before ever they existed, he established their whole design. And when, as ordained for them, they came into being... It is in accord with his glorious design that they accomplish their task without change. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. He has created man to govern the world, and has appointed for him two spirits in which to walk until the time of his visitation, the spirits of truth and injustice. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Those born of truth spring from a fountain of light, but those born of injustice spring from a source of darkness. All the children of righteousness are ruled by the prince of light and walk in the ways of light, but all the children of injustice are ruled by the angel of darkness and walk in the ways of darkness. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light 
but came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he says, for it is he who created the spirits of light and darkness and founded every action upon them and every deed and their ways. He loves the one everlastingly. So he's talking about the light. He loves the light everlastingly and he delights in its works forever. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yeah. So there's a, the common theme of light, darkness, children of light, children of darkness, deeds of light, deeds of darkness. Truth, God loves perversity. one, he hates the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's the ethical point. So it's all there. It's it's all the same themes. They're all drawing, I guess, from the same font. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So establishing then that, that John is very likely Palestinian in origin in its thought and not Greek and Gnostic, like you said, there is still another problem that scholars will also bring up, and that is that John's gospel just feels different, sounds different um, Mm -hmm. than the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we have to sort of contend with that a little bit. Yeah. You know, and and the first I think we could say is the the problem of chronology, right? So the the, the synoptic gospels have a certain chronology that they're following um, with minor differences between them. But then John's chronology is very different in a way. You know, it doesn't quite match up. So imagine... So before we talked about the kerygma, right? The proclamation of the gospel, okay? So imagine if you are a second-generation Christian and you are charged with writing a gospel, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, okay? You're a second-generation Christian, you got to write a gospel, and all you have in, in your hands are perhaps a bunch of sayings of Jesus, perhaps a bunch of his parables, mm-hmm. okay? And then you, on the other hand, you have what you've heard, the, the kerygma, the proclamation, right? And the proclamation is made up of his baptism, Ministry in Galilee, journey to Jerusalem, passion, death, resurrection. Yeah. So you okay, have so those, you, you have on one themes, hand the order of events, right, the, of Jesus's life, things that that he where he went, that what happened. he did, and then you have actual written transmitted mm-hmm. sayings of his, which of course would most likely be the parable because parables are easy to remember. Mm-hmm. So it's like heavy in parables, yep. you know. So you're the gospel right now. You got to take you know the general events of his of Jesus's life mm-hmm. and now you know his sayings and now you're you're fitting them together the best you can yeah. and you have community so you have people around you that knew that, that were there or at least knew someone who was there and so you can ask them wait which happened first <laughs> you know and and you can see this in in Luke's gospel because he says he painstakingly for Theophilus he's like I painstakingly tried to put yep. everything in order <laughs> yep. you know as best as best as he could yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. But then you come to John's gospel, and it's like you see that, no, there wasn't just one visit to Jerusalem for Jesus at, towards the end of his mm-hmm. ministry. Jesus actually went to Jerusalem very early in his ministry, so so he he there were multiple visits to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just little things like that. Like, he doesn't mention, um, like, the Passover, right? But 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 then he has a whole dialogue about it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's and, different. Well, and here's the thing. If it... I think if it wasn't different, it would be more suspicious. Mm-hmm. Because what we're saying is that John was the eyewitness to Jesus. So even though we would date John's gospel to after the synoptics, generally speaking, it's earlier content, and it's content that comes from an eyewitness. That's a big point, that that just because something is written late does not mean that its content is not much earlier. And mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a great point with John's gospel, because yes, it's the last gospel to be written down, but the content so, itself is so intimate and so presumably early. Yeah. And so what we're saying is like, so imagine, um, you know, somebody who you were friends with tries to write your biography. Yeah. Okay. And then they write it and then 
10 years later, I write your biography. Someone who actually walked with you and knew you and, and all that, laughed at some of your bad jokes and those types of things. Um, my miss, gospel, my gospel, you know, both would be true, but my gospel would be very different. If it wasn't different, you'd be like, well, didn't you know? <laughs> right. Didn't you know, Steve? <laughs> it's the same you stuff know? I got from his other biographers. <laughs> exactly. So it's the same His admirers, with, his fans. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same with, 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 um, with John. You know, he knew Jesus personally. So yeah, we should expect it to be different. Yeah. The other reason that it, it, it should be different is because, we just touched on it, the synoptic gospels are parable heavy. Mm-hmm. They're sayings heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay. John's gospel is not parable heavy. He's relating to the the, the words that he heard yeah. from Jesus. Yeah. More so than, than the synoptics. Yeah. Which comes to the language of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Because um, when you read John's gospel for the first time, maybe maybe there's people listening who haven't read John's gospel, you know, um, but maybe you're more familiar with the synoptics uh, because of just the general outline, some of the parables. But John's gospel, I mean, the first time that you read, I remember the first time I read John's gospel and I was just floored. I was just like, this is so much stuff that Jesus is saying <laughs> that in the in the synoptic gospels, you're like, you're like starving for Jesus to say something because it's more about where he's going, what he's doing. But John's gospel, you've got three, four pages of Jesus just speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's 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 peculiar about it is how Jesus speaks, the idiom. And this is immediately, all even scholars will notice immediately at, at just the cursory level, it's just a way of talking that Jesus doesn't talk like that in the, in the synoptics. Um, you know, amen, I say to you, like, you know, da-da-da-da, da-da-da. Like, he, he does a lot of parallelisms. So, yeah, um, so... so- the amen I say to you does appear in the synoptics, mm-hmm. but that's what we're saying yeah. is that when in the synoptics, when Jesus is not speaking parables, he's speaking like he speaks in the gospel of John. He says, amen, I say to you. Amen, right. I say to you. Right. Uh, and so, which tells us that John is giving us something close to what Jesus was actually saying to him. And remember that John, when he follows Jesus, just to put this from a, from a human perspective, John's a young kid. Like the, the guy's probably 17, 18, something like that when he's following Jesus, if you, if you work backwards from the age of Polycarp then to John and, and backwards. And so he, he's young. Mm-hmm. It is very characteristic, especially at this time, for someone who's following a rabbi or a teacher to adopt the teacher, like to adopt the way that the teacher speaks, to pay very close mm-hmm. attention to it and to mimic it. And so what I, what I love about John personally when I'm reading it is that I, I, I wonder – is this real? This is what Jesus really sounded like, mm-hmm. you know, to speak to me. Um, it, it's like because John is an imitator in his yeah. speech, even of Jesus. Well, even I mean, in the Gospels, um, Jesus even kind of turns to the disciples and said, "You know, parables are for those on the outside, <laughs> but you guys on the inside, I'll tell you the secrets." Mm-hmm. John is giving. That's why we would expect John to be the theologian. Mm-hmm. He's giving us the deep theology of what Jesus told him. Yeah. Because that was reserved for the apostles to then pass on the mysteries to the church. That's right. And and John himself draws attention. He, he's not shy about it. He draws attention to the, to the way that Jesus spoke, the manner of his speech. Mm-hmm. In John uh, chapter 7, there's this episode where the, the guards were there listening to Jesus preach, the temple guards, and they were, they were sent there to, to take Jesus and take him to the temple. They didn't. They walk back to the temple. They come back to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're like, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? He said... All they said was, we've never heard a man speak the way that this man spoke. Yeah, and so typically, it's a different sense. So typically in the synoptics, it's, they say that, well, we were, Jesus, astonished. Jesus, we were astonished, and we were astonished because he spoke with one as having authority. Mm-hmm. It's different what John, I think, is saying, relaying here. Yeah. 
that yeah. Jesus know just generally how Jesus speaks is very different than what people have heard before. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing that um, that makes us think that you know this really is um, why John's gospel is different, but also why it is an intimate gospel is because we get all of these details that we don't get in the synoptics, these, these intimate details. So for instance, the connection between John the Baptist and Jesus in the synoptic gospels, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's not loose, Mm -hmm. but it's looser than the gospel of John. And then when you go to like Josephus, you know, he, he mentions John the Baptist mentions, mentions Jesus, but never mentions that the two of them had like a relationship in their ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were actually many people who were still adamant followers of John the Baptist in John's time, but not followers of Jesus. So John is putting that that to bed as well yeah. in saying, like, I followed John the Baptist and I followed Jesus. And I'm telling you, mm-hmm. there was a day when I was by the riverside and John said, behold, the Lamb of God. Yeah. So the, you don't get that in the synoptics because the synoptics don't know about it. But John knows about it because he was there in that moment. Mm-hmm. And even even the, the episode that I told you about where um, they come back and say, we never heard a man speak like this. Nobody is there except the chief priests and Nicodemus. So again, it's like he knows Nicodemus yeah. and he's getting these things because he, he's intimately involved in the story. It's not, you know, it's not like a secondhand account of something. Mm-hmm. So um, in, at the foot of the cross, that's one of the, one of my favorites is that you, you, you come to this moment where Jesus is talking to Mary and talking to John. And like, you don't get that anywhere Yeah, no, else. the synoptics don't say that John was, John was there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. in his gospel, he's saying, I, you know, he was there. Mm-hmm. And so he's leaning on the breast of Jesus at, at, the, at the Last Supper. Well, that's why the next thing is this long speech of Jesus talking to his apostles about what's going to happen. I'm going to send the spirit of truth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all these things. You don't get that in the synoptics. You get in John, because John's there listening mm-hmm. uh, against his breast. Actually, one fun anecdote about the foot of the cross thing. It's always blown my mind is that we, we talked about how Salome is his mother, John, the, the mother of the sons of yeah. Zebedee at the if foot you, of the if cross. You, yeah, if you put all the if you put all the gospels together, you can you can come to the conclusion that Salome at the cross is she's right there. She's right there. Yeah. <laughs> and and Jesus looks and says, "Behold your mother." To Mary. Wo- to Mary, woman. When, behold yeah. your son. When Salome is there, John's actual, his actual mom, his biological <laughs> right. mother, is there. Yeah. But Jesus is saying, "This is your mother now." Yeah, yeah, that's the neat stuff that you get. So that's that's what's cool about John's gospel. He fills in these gaps, and when he's doing that, you're like, "Whoa!" Like, yeah. where did that come from? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So the synoptics are different. Conclusion is that synoptics are different because they're more focused on what Jesus did. They're focused on what happened mm-hmm. in the in our day. John's gospel is about who Jesus is. He's he's very much concerned about identity. Now that makes sense for John, what we know of John historically. And that's because for the first time John is seeing weird and strange ideas bubbling up in the Christian community itself. So that's why yep. John is very much focused on no 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 not that not that not that this. Like mm-hmm. Jesus's identity is this. So you can see that because in the progression of John's gospel there's a progress of his view of Jesus. He starts off like we've said before, you know, he starts with lamb, ends with logos. You know, it's the first proclamation is lamb of God. The next one is we found the Messiah. So lamb of God, Messiah. Mm-hmm. And then you move, you keep moving and it's like, I am Jesus saying before Abraham was, I am. Like, yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. There's an identification between Jesus and Yahweh. Well, how does that work? And then he says, then the great, I am the son of, I am the son of man. Son of, right. Yeah. And then the great culmination of course is Thomas. Yeah. After the resurrection, after Thomas the resurrection, puts his finger into the wounds and he says, "My Lord and my God." Yeah. 
So now you have these two things. You have lamb over here, and then you have God over here. Mm -hmm. And where John, in his experience of Jesus, where he finds himself is, this is the ration this is the rationality of god this is the logos yeah and 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 the you you find the same thing in the book of revelation same progression from mm. lamb to elevated oh, point. lord to i am the almighty yeah um same same thing there so again linking the author of the gospel of john with the with revelation so john's conclusion then is really that this is the logos of god and and yeah. that brings us to what's yeah, funny so, is that he puts in the prologue yeah right? so so you know traditionally you see the prologue as the start of the gospel mm-hmm. but but this is why a lot of scholars will say, actually, that's the conclusion of the gospel yes. put at the front. Because once you've experienced life with Jesus in the way that John experienced life with Jesus, mm-hmm. the only conclusion you can come to is that in the beginning was the Word, yeah. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so then that that, that kind of brings us to the the facade analogy. You want to explain what the, the facade, facade analogy is, the prologue is? Yeah, so... Um, Grillmeyer brings this up in, in his book on Christology, a uh, famous scholar. But the facade analogy is that John's gospel, you should view it as a building. And the facade of it is this beautiful Greek facade with classical columns. And, and then behind that Greek facade is this kind of Christian, um, Jewish Christian uh, document. Mm-hmm. That's correct, you know, kind of because John is using kind of Greek language, okay? Mm-hmm. But you do not want to push that analogy too far because John is doing something wholly different and new in the prologue. In the prologue, John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own did not accept him. And the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. We said the, the analogy, we used the analogy, right, the facade analogy, kind of Greek, and then there's like mm-hmm. Jewishness in it. In the, in the content. We don't push that too far for this reason, for the reason of this prologue. John is doing something different here. Mm-hmm. He is taking two polar opposite things and throwing them together. Yeah. What John is saying is that the Word of God, the Logos, is definitely on the God side of things. Mm-hmm. On the on the God side of divide, right? Not between between, between God and creature. God and creature. Yeah. Okay? Why that isn't Greek? Okay. The Greeks believed that the logos, the word, was this kind of uh, demiurge, this intermediate being, right? Because you can't have something totally transcendent, God, mm-hmm. meet with something totally imminent, creation. Yeah. You have to have some kind of mediating being, mediating, um, um, yeah, being. Yeah. That's there. To kind of bring it has the a transcendent Im- Im- imminency. <laughs> yeah, transcendent imminency. Um, that's not what John is doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what John is saying is that the holy transcendent is taking on something wholly imminent, mm-hmm. and not just the the logos becomes human. He uses the the carnal 
earthy language of Sark's flesh. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't need to make say, sure yeah. you know that he's actually becoming a human. He's right. taking on this material world. Mm-hmm. You see, in the prologue, the, the Jews would have heard, that sounds like a second God. Mm-hmm. And the Greeks would have heard, that's pollution. Right. You can't pollute. The you can't two. pollute. You can't pollute something. <laughs> you can't that bring is, those worlds together. Completely transcendent. Yeah. So it's an astounding synthesis that that John has brought us to. Mm-hmm. But it's a synthesis that only John could bring us to. The Greeks would have not not have gotten there without the Jews. The Jews would have not have gotten there without the Greeks. But you could not have gotten there without John's experience of Jesus. And it's that experience that he gives us through the whole gospel. Oh, and that makes perfect I, sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because, like we said too, John is the man who has been there for every major event of Jesus' ministry. And part of the major events of Jesus' ministry was was almost incomparable humanity and incomparable divinity mm-hmm. in, at, at the same time. He's there for the transfiguration, you know, but he's also at the foot of the cross watching Jesus bleed and cry out to his father. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? If you are John, really, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. That's why this isn't high-minded theology that John is writing in an ivory tower it's really born of it's, his experience. I experienced the transcendent, and I experienced the earthy. The, mm-hmm. the blood and water flowed and probably hit him as it flowed exactly. out of Jesus' side on the cross. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, th- I think that's that's a really that's a really good point to bring up for yeah. sure. So that's why the facade analogy can't go too far. Too far. Yeah. So, in fact, I, it, it what it does is it, it John by doing this. Is, is doing the opposite of what the, the facade analogy is telling us almost in a way because John is warding off the high-minded ideal. And, and, and if you know mm-hmm. a little bit about what we'll get into when we actually touch on the heresies, he's got the Gnostics as his opponent. He's got the, he's got the Docetics as his opponent. The Docetists are the ones who are saying that Jesus wasn't really a man. Yeah. He was not a one, human. One of the first heresies was that he wasn't a human. <laughs> yeah, well, Hilarious. Yeah. The first thing that they could think about Jesus was that, yeah, he wasn't really a human, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so John is looking at that, and he's saying, no. Flesh. Sarks. Flesh. Mm-hmm. Sarks. But then on the other end of that, you have another group of the adoptionists who are saying that Jesus is, was only a man mm-hmm. who was then adopted by God into, you know, divinity. Um so, so John is saying, Logos. <laughs> yeah. He prees it before Abraham was, I am. Well, but here, you know? here's the thing with that, though. So we, we've just been saying that John was so close to Jesus. He, he was on his breast, right? Leaned on him and was at his side all the time. Mm-hmm. That's ex- John's experience of Jesus, John tells us, was Jesus' experience with the Father, mm-hmm. the Son with the Father. He says in verse 18 of chapter 1, No one has ever seen God. The only Son, God, who has at the Father's side, has revealed him. Mm-hmm. So as close as John was to Jesus, that's Jesus' intimacy with the Father. Mm-hmm. So he's running home that idea of transcendence. No, the Son has always been with the Father, yeah. has always been at the Father's side. Mm-hmm. See, John, this is the difference between John and the, her- and the first heretics. Because heresy is always born in people who are trying to synthesize great ideas. Mm-hmm. Apart from experience. See, John... Apart from event. Yep. John is here in event. I experienced Jesus here, you know, I, I, and I have it all in me. Now I'm coming to you and telling you my theology. The heretics, the first heretics didn't know Jesus. They didn't walk with Jesus. They weren't apostles. They're coming from the, the Greco-Roman and Jewish world, uh, religious milieu, mm-hmm. 
and then they're going and giving their theology. Yep. And they're trying to synthesize different different things because that that was the move. That was the move back then. Was was all all truth, right? Wherever it is, the seeds of logos, wherever it is, seeds of truth. We need to take those and find the truth. So whatever is true in that religion, grab it. Whatever's mm-hmm. true in that one, grab it. And then somehow we'll kind of build it up. That's the Neoplatonic like method. So that's what they're doing. And John is coming straight to them and saying, "No flesh, logos." And so then that becomes very significant for the church. Because what John leaves us with after this is just that. He became flesh. He's the Logos of God. So he's man, fully man, and fully God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, now you have to work now, How are we going to work with that? You know, so, so now the whole rest of the history leading up into the councils of the church and everything is literally going to be a series of heretics coming forward and postulating ideas yeah. to that and the church having to say no. But then the question is, well, what is it then? So then the church has to start to explain herself. Mm-hmm. So that's what, but that's John, right? He starts us off that way. But what he's doing is he's inviting his communities by writing this gospel. He's inviting his communities into the, his experience. He has experienced Jesus and become an imitator of Jesus. Yeah. And now he wants his communities to be an imitator of him, just as he had these direct experiences. He wants those communities. Because think to. about the timing as well. These are communities that they've, seen the Jerusalem temple fall. Mm-hmm. They've seen the church in Jerusalem scatter. Uh, most of the apostles except John are gone and dead. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being persecuted, not just from fellow Jews, but from Romans now. Romans have now got word about these Christians, mm-hmm. um, first Nero and now Domitian in the 90s. So they're being persecuted. It's this group that needs to hear, where's Jesus? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. is he? Because yeah. I thought he was coming back. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's drawing them to, just as we mentioned in our first century mass episode, he's drawing them to the experience of the existing structures in the community that the apostles laid themselves. Remember, St. Paul says, hold to the traditions that I gave to you. Mm-hmm. Well, what are those traditions? Part of the tradition is what I received, that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. <laughs> you know, so the Eucharist, yeah. like the Eucharist, baptism, the rituals that we talked about already in, in our, our series, John is drawing them to those things so that they have his experience but the, too. But the great, and the great thing is that that's why John doesn't, doesn't tell us that Jesus instituted the Eucharist. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't even mention the... No, he doesn't mention... Yeah. He gives us John 6, John chapter 6, where he explains yeah. the theology of the Eucharist, what Jesus said about the Eucharist. Yeah. That's what this community needs to hear. Yeah. Because they're already celebrating the Eucharist. They know they're already, Jesus gave They're it. already <laughs> celebrating baptism, and so they needed to hear not that Jesus is coming to baptize, they needed to hear the dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. Yes. Where yeah. Jesus tells them, you must be born of water and the Spirit, mm-hmm. and the, the the fountain of living water to the woman at the well. Those are the stories that need to In the to world hear. you have tribulation, but take take comfort, I've overcome the world. Mm-hmm. They need These are the, the, the anecdotes they needed to hear from mm-hmm. someone who knew Jesus. And that's Jesus. what John is giving them. Yeah. And so where this goes is that John, John imprints his very character onto these communities, and it has a lasting effect. You'll see when we move into the second century that all the earliest heavy hitters of the second century, from Ignatius to Justin Martyr to uh, Polycarp to even Arianias, they are imprinted with John's thought and his life and his theology. You have Ignatius with like light and dark, and he yeah. mentions sarks <laughs> and flesh. Um, Polycarp is a very prophetic old man. He even prophesies when he's going to his death. Yeah, but um, they're all very influenced. All these early church fathers can be very influenced by John's ecclesiology. That's really what John is doing. Yeah. It's an ecclesiology. He's saying to them, no, Jesus is with you now. Mm-hmm. He's abiding with you now. Mm-hmm. Abide in him and he'll abide in you. 
that's why he's giving them this theology of what they already are doing, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's through the sacraments that we'll be abiding with Christ, and we'll, we'll be able to experience the charisma, mm-hmm. like the apostles experience, but we experience it now through our sacraments. Yeah. That's the message of John. Yeah, and especially when okay. you when you hear that, like, uh, even in, in the book of Revelation, when he says, um, you know, whoever abides, I will come in and I, I will make my abode in him and I will dine but with this, him. And this is why it's, <laughs> it's like... But this is why it's so important that 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 it comes from John, ecclesiology, the ecclesiology of the vine. Mm-hmm. So so John John's image of the church is a vine and branches. Mm-hmm. St. Paul's image of the church was a body, right? With Jesus as the head. Mm-hmm. But John, it's that vine. It's the it's the it's the 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 lifeblood of us. Mm-hmm. That's that's the ecclesiology. So so Jesus is here with you now. Yeah, <laughs> that's the message. Yeah, you can experience him here now. So this is this is what that late first century church needed to get mm-hmm. from so the first to century to yeah. the second century. Yep. You know, it's like this mm-hmm. is exactly the word that they needed, even all the way down to like a Justin Martyr who's going to pick up on that Logos piece and run with it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so John's character and, and his theology is imprinted on that early church, and now that, that helps them get through without the apostles. Mm-hmm. When John is finally gone, and there's no apostles left, but only these men who knew the apostles, right. you know? And which is why, yeah, I mean, know, for for what John is called, you know? Yeah, John is, you know, we see John as kind of the last apostle, but he's really the the arch apologist. Yeah. So we've given you then the gospel of John and John himself, even sort of at this, this top layer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's sort of the, the skinny of John, mm-hmm. but John is really layered and there are things just below this surface mm-hmm. that will blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it really just yeah. blow your mind. So the next episodes are going to be about putting on different, a different lens to view John yeah. and, and a different way to read John. Yeah, and it'll it'll not only open up John's thought for you, but through that, to be honest with you, it'll open up for you a so lot much of the, of the Bible. A lot of yeah. the scriptures. Yeah. yeah.